I'm Marianne Kolbesek McGee, Managing Editor at Information Security Media Group. In September 2011, Kaiser Foundation Health Plan learned that someone from the public purchased at a thrift shop an unencrypted external hard drive containing data of about 30,000 of the company's employees and former employees. However, Kaiser didn't begin notifying breach victims until six months later. Kaiser recently reached a settlement with the California Attorney General's office related to that breach. The key issue in the dispute was whether Kaiser took too long to notify breach victims. Today I'm speaking with Dave Nevetta, a security and privacy attorney at law firm Information Law Group, LLP. David will be discussing the Kaiser case and some of the other recent lawsuits and government enforcement actions taken against healthcare entities in the wake of data breaches and what these events potentially mean to other healthcare entities. Hi, David. Hello there. Now, in the recent case involving Kaiser, the California Attorney General's complaint basically said that Kaiser didn't notify breach victims fast enough. In California, how soon after discovering a breach must a healthcare entity inform victims? And do the breach notification rules in California differ depending if a breach involves personally identifiable information versus protected health information? I think that's the great question, a question that the practitioners have been kind of struggling with over time here. How soon do you have to notify? Uh, we've seen breaches in the, in, the, in the news, big breaches where you know, notices come out you know, two or three weeks after the uh, initial discovery and still some of those companies have uh, received criticism. But unfortunately, you know, the answer is not very clear. Um, it, it kind of depends on the state you're in and the breach law in that state. California and many other states have a kind of a vague standard. California says the disclosure shall be made in the most expedient time possible and without unreasonable delay. And you know, before this Kaiser case, really that standard had not been uh, tested very much or, or kind of uh, less operated on by, by regulators, per se. California does have a privacy office that let guidance out, that put out some guidance that said 10 business days would, would be kind of an appropriate time frame to provide notice. But again, that's a guidance document. It's not in the law itself. Some states have more precise deadlines. So Ohio, Wisconsin, and Florida, all of their breach notification laws require notice within 45 days of discovery of the breach. So in other states, for instance, Connecticut's Department, Department of Insurance says that you have five calendar days to report breach. So the standards can vary by state depending on who's impacted by the uh, information. You may have different deadlines in terms of notification. So that particular case against Kaiser, I think, was one of the first cases for individual notice where an, an attorney general sort of uh, put a stake in the ground and tried to argue and, and, and allege that Kaiser had violated that most expedient time frame a standard that they have in their statute. In the settlement with the California AG, Kaiser has agreed to provide notification for future breaches involving current or former employees' personal data on a rolling basis. That means that Kaiser must begin providing breach notification to employees and former employees, even if Kaiser's breach investigation is ongoing. Now, since Kaiser operates in other states besides California, what implications, if any, do you think this settlement has for other potential breaches that happen at Kaiser? And what about breaches at Kaiser that involve patient data rather than employee data? 
This actually goes to a question, the second question you asked a second ago, the difference between protected health information and personal information. So, you know, the state breach notification laws deal with personal information or PII. Some also include, actually California is one of them, medical information in their definition of PII and PHI. I'm sorry, personal information. And so these standards may change depending on what type of information we're talking about here. Uh, under HIPAA, there's a 60-day deadline to report breaches involving protected health information. So that's another factor to bring into the equation. In terms of the settlement and what the Attorney General, I think in California, the message they were trying to send was that you can't sit there as an entity and, and kind of do this full-fledged investigation if you are aware that at least a subset of your population, employee population, has been impacted by the breach. And again, this is where it gets tricky because the, most of the state laws um, require notice not when you have actual proof of uh, unauthorized acquisition or access to personal information, but when you have a reasonable suspicion or a reasonable basis to conclude that there may have been such access or acquisition. So in reality, when you do a breach investigation, there's a lot of gray areas, a lot of uncertainty, a lot of difficulty in understanding what exactly happened, who was impacted, what the scope of the breach is. And when a reasonable basis or a reasonable suspicion of a breach arises is also a very you know, kind of tricky question. So what the California Attorney General is saying on the referred rolling basis is that if you do as an organization or healthcare entity establish a reasonable basis to believe that there was a breach with respect to a certain population of, of individuals, then you have to provide notice even if the investigation is ongoing and you later discover, for instance, that the, the, the number of individuals was greater than your initial uh, conclusions. The other flip side of that is that you may discover that the investigation yields a smaller population, perhaps you provided notice to people who actually weren't impacted by a breach. In, in Kaiser, it was a little easier because we're talking about a lost laptop and you're trying to figure out who's on that laptop, whose information is on that laptop. But for a more like a hacking type of breach, it may be difficult to really understand who that population is. You may have a suspicion that there's been uh, some sort of unauthorized access to your systems as an organization. The systems may contain you know, millions of records and you may not really know at the outset if it affected all those records or just a certain segment of the, of the network that had only certain records in it, and what California is saying is that you, once you discover that at least a, a portion of the population has been impacted, you get, need to get that notice out in, in a, an expedient fashion. So it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. Now, your question about whether this applies just to employee information or patient information or consumer information, I, I don't think that the fact that it was employees really, in this case, makes any difference. It's the, the, the California General Attorney General is going to be worried about personal information, whether it's employees, whether whether it's patients, whether it's consumers. So I would read this uh, kind of precedent or this kind of message that's being put out there as applying beyond employee breaches to also patient breaches as well as uh, consumer breaches. What implications, if any, do you think that this Kaiser case may have on other healthcare entities in California and elsewhere when it comes to data breaches? Well, I mean, again, I, I view regulators when they bring cases like this, and, you know, this wasn't the hugest breach in the world. I view it as, as um, uh, them attempting to send the message as to how they view or interpret a statute or interpret an obligation. And so I think this impacts other healthcare organizations because that message is out there now, and I think that they'll have to go back to their incident response plans and reevaluate how they approach these breaches. In my experience, it's not uncommon to conduct a, a pretty thorough investigation. You may have some 
idea that uh, certain individuals may have been affected by the breach, but you don't want to go out there and give them uh, inaccurate information or potentially provide notice to individuals who haven't actually been breached and uh, over, uh, alarm them in a way that's unnecessary. And the ultimate practical impact is that you're going to have companies who have to make judgment calls pretty early on in the, uh, the process as to whether notice has to go out to certain people that they uh, suspect may have been impacted by a breach. And I personally think you got to be a little careful with this because when you do an investigation and there are gray areas and uncertainties and, and you can't get the full picture right away, I think it can be detrimental to put out a bunch of notices and over-notify individuals if they really don't have uh, the information uh, necessary to inform those individuals or if the individuals uh, you know, may not have been actually victims of, of a breach. Uh, I think we're going to have situations where companies are going to send these notices out on a rolling basis and then conduct some more investigation two, two, three weeks down the line and find that the facts they found at the beginning are different now that they've actually had time to conduct a more thorough investigation. They may have to go back out and correct notices that have gone out or send out additional communications to clarify the situation. And I think that can cause more confusion ultimately than taking a little time to actually get the investigation right, try to get the full scope of the breach, try to understand exactly what was impacted, what wasn't impacted, getting all the ducks in a row to provide that information, uh, you know, maybe on a one-time basis with a call center support in the background. I see this as potentially causing confusion in the breach process because of all uh, of the rolling basis that would be happening here and potentially the mixed messages that might come out over time as the investigation goes forward and and the facts and circumstances change. With that all said, what are the most important steps that you think healthcare entities should take to avoid the scrutiny of their state AGs and other government agencies when it comes to information security and breaches? I think three or four things they should should do. First is uh, I would say be compliant. Be, be compliant with the data security laws underlying uh, the breach notification um, laws out here. So under for healthcare organizations, HIPAA security rule. If you suffer a breach as a health organization, you know, one of the things the regulators are going to look at after they get notice of the breach potentially is whether or not you are compliant with the security rule, and that's going to be a factor uh, that comes into play. With respect to potential regulatory actions and even lawsuits in the background, so be compliant in the background, but then also be ready. Incident response plan uh, scenarios and testing of those plans are important in this case, and understanding how to react to a breach and how to bring the right team in to do the handle the breach, investigate the breach, get them on the ground quickly. Uh, doing things on a rolling basis now in my view, requires that you get an investigation going very, very quickly and trying to get as much information as possible on a short-term basis to give you as clear a picture as possible as the organization as to what happened here. So I think that companies that haven't thought this through ahead of time, don't have an incident response plan, uh, aren't ready uh, for a potential breach, are going to find themselves behind the eight ball uh, in light of this rolling basis type of notification requirement. And then once once you actually have the breach and it's happened, you know, be proactive. There may be circumstances where you might want to reach out to regulators ahead of time to discuss the situation, even if the investigation is not ongoing, and get their guidance and maybe some input in, ter- in terms of how you approach the investigation and notification. Think about your customers and health and, and uh, patients and how they're going to react to a breach. 
and try to get them the you know, best information possible as soon as possible to blunt any kind of concerns they may have and, and give them information they can use to help protect themselves as well as protect, you know, ultimately the healthcare entity that they can get this in communication outright and do it properly. Could that, that looks good in the terms of the AG's eyes as well as uh, helps them in potential lawsuit situations. So to sum it up, be compliant, be ready, be proactive when the breach occurs. Now you just mentioned lawsuits. Besides the case between Kaiser and the California AG, there have been recent class action lawsuits filed against other health entities that have had a major health data breach, including a suit recently filed against Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield of New Jersey. What are the key steps that health entities should consider taking to prepare for possible lawsuits resulting from data breaches? That's a great question. I, you know, I think we're in an era now where these lawsuits are going to become much more frequent. For a long time, attorneys, plaintiff's attorneys were having trouble with these lawsuits and, and not being able to get them very far into litigation. Often there will be dismissals at the motion to dismiss phase. But since uh, those kind of early efforts, there have been some weakening and some, uh, some strengthening of the plaintiff's arguments in terms of uh, going forward with these cases. There have been settlements out there. So on some level, I think there's starting to be a little bit of a blood in the water for these cases. I think most entities that are high-profile entities, maybe significant brand names, are most likely to be targets for breaches, uh, whether they be big or small. Entities that suffer big breaches uh, that get a lot of headlines are also going to be targets uh, for, for lawsuits. And so I think preparation now is much more important than maybe it was two or three years ago when you suffered a breach. The lawyers, breach notice lawyers, and lawyers at the health entities start having to put on their litigation hats relatively a little bit earlier now than maybe they had in the past. So important thing important steps to take in terms of thinking about lawsuits and defending lawsuits, establishing attorney-client privilege, the investigation of these breaches and the response, the breach notification laws should be under the umbrella of attorney-client privilege. That would include the, the forensic examination itself. Uh, that can help to protect the outcome and the, and the communications that happen between the entity and the lawyers when it comes to these data breaches. Also, one thing that happens in these breaches oftentimes is a forensic examination that is really geared towards finding out what happened for purposes of complying with breach notice laws. I think organizations need to think of e-discovery and preserving evidence as well, not just responding to breach notification laws when it comes to these breaches. So in anticipation of potential litigation, companies want to think about what information do we need to find and retain so we can address potential claims that may be filed against us as well as to help us with with any defenses we may have if it's a regulatory action or a lawsuit. And so that needs to be considered, I think, more so these days than perhaps a couple years ago. Remediation type of offers, I think it's fairly common these days to provide some offer of credit monitoring or ID protection services to affected individuals. That is really not required by law, but something that a lot of companies do. And I think it's becoming more certainly a consumer kind of friendliness type of exercise to show as an organization that you're trying to help your your patients or consumers if they're suffering a breach. Uh, But also it can be good for litigation because if a plaintiff is going to come and uh, sue a healthcare organization if they haven't offered the credit monitoring or some sort of ID protection services of some sort, then that may be used or alleged to be a damage element uh, of uh, the individuals or a plaintiff in a class action. And so uh, not only does it look good and not only does it help 
the customers. It also can serve to blunt the kind of impact of a lawsuit because uh, if you provide those types of services, uh, the plaintiffs may not have any damages to to allege against the health care entity that's been breached. Also, I think you know, when it comes to these types of scenarios, there is a nexus or a relationship between the public relations and the messaging that goes out and the lawsuits. So I think that's going to become more important for high-profile breaches. How are these entities communicating with the public? How are they being portrayed by the media? And I think, you know, the worse that they look in the media's eyes and the worse that the stories are, the, the higher the likelihood of lawsuits. It creates more of a, an atmosphere for litigation, a, a better story. Even if the plaintiff's attorneys don't have strong law on their side, they may have strong facts on their side and, and negative media stories certainly can fan the flames when it comes to these types of lawsuits. So and that's another consideration now that uh, I think is more important than maybe a couple of years back is understanding the, the kind of the public reaction and the public relations handling of these types of breaches and how that might impact uh, lawsuits being filed. Thanks, David. I've been speaking to attorney David Nevada. I'm Marian Kolbasek-Begee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.